I just want to share with you that we are in a very special, uh, not just us, but I believe the whole world, supernatural moment of time. How many knows that we're entering into a brand new season now? And I'm not talking about fall. A new season is opening up. The calendar, God's calendar, is getting ready to change. Beginning Friday evening at 6 p.m., I believe it is, isn't it, Charlie, is the, on the Jewish calendar is the new year. And I believe this is Rosh Hashanah, right, uh, that starts the new year on Friday evening. Now, I didn't know really the value or importance of this till a number of years ago. A lot of you have heard me talk about this. Uh, I, I guess it's been maybe 10, 15 years ago uh, when we were really connected to uh, one of the major ministries. And we were in Nashville. We were invited to Nashville about this period of time, September, uh, to do a live TBN program there. And he invited all of the fellowship to come with him. And we had been there a big part of the day at TBN Nashville. So we were several hours away from going live on the air. And so I was sitting there just, you know, wasting time, really waiting uh, to, for the program to come underway. And I thought, well, I'll just begin to pray about the new year for whatever reason. I, I just felt it. And uh, all of a sudden, it hadn't happened this way before. God just began to speak to me or download to me about the new year. And I thought, man, God, this is great. I've got now three months or four months. I can really work on this. And God said, no. He said, your new year starts right now. And I thought, why does it start now? And then he took me to the Jewish calendar. He said, my time frame doesn't work on your time frame. And so he began, and every year, even though we turn our calendar January 1 on our, what do you call it, the Gregorian calendar, the, the calendar of God starts right now. And this is the year we're coming out of 5783, and we're stepping in uh, to the year 5784. And that really began to spark something in me, and I thought, okay, God, I've got to have an understanding of what 5784 stands for. Maybe some of you have already been looking into that. Maybe you've already heard it, but it's really the year of the open door. It's the year of the open door. And I begin to hear God say, as I heard that and begin to look at that, I begin to hear the Lord say, I'm going to prophesy to you for a few moments, that God said, this is the time that new doors are opening and old doors are going to be shutting. New doors are opening and old doors, this is how he spoke to me. Uh, new doors are going to open and old doors uh, are going to shut. And I heard this, behold, all things are going to become new. And I really believe that in a lot of different ways, not only for us as a church, but I believe in, in, a, in, a, in a big way, this is old things are passing away. This is going to be a year of the new. And he took me, you guys have heard this verse, hadn't been meditating on these things, but this just came to me while I was praying over it. He took me to that verse out of, out of Isaiah 43, uh, verse 19, but I'm going to start at verse 16 for a minute. Now, I've got a, another word that I'm going to bring that's going to go right along with this, so hang on with me. He says in verse 16, 
Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, and they shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a, like a wicked. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now shall it spring forth, and shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness, and rivers in the desert, and the beasts of the field will honor me. Now, when God began to speak that to me immediately, I began to think about my mind began to be flooded with a lot of the prophecy that many of you have heard from some of the major prophets that we are in a, or the past year I've heard guys like Robin Bullock and I've heard others talk about that we are in a Red Sea crossing, a Red Sea moment that God opened it up. So what did he say here? Don't miss what he said. This is a year of an open door, something new. God said, I'm going to make a way in the sea. He's, I really believe he's talking to us, even as a nation, as a people, that we're to consider. God said, if those prophets were right months, even a couple years ago, saying that we're in a Red Sea moment, God said, I'm opening it up. And they're going to pass through. He said, I'm going to make a way uh, through the sea and the path through the mighty waters. And I'm going to cause the chariots and the horsemen uh, that are going to come through the army and the power. Listen to what he said. They shall lie down together and they shall not rise. Now that ought to be given hope to every one of us about our nation. If these prophets are saying, and we're in this year, and God is speaking this, that ought to give us hope to everything. God said, I'm going to take care of this group of people. I'm going to take care of these enemies. They're not going to rise up. But he said, they are extinguished, and they are quenched like a wick, like you would put their flame of fire out. But he said, do not remember the things of old. In other words, if we want to keep dwelling upon the past and how wicked and bad and vile and everything is going on, God said, you're going to miss what he's doing in this present season. So he said, I'm going to cause, listen, he said, behold, I'm going to do something new. Everybody say new. You haven't seen it before. He said, shall you not know it? And then he said, I'll make a road in the wilderness. What's he talking about? He's talking about the path. How are we going to get through all of the stuff that's going on? He's talking about when he brought Israel up out of Egypt, he made a way through the wilderness for them to pass. He said, I'm going to make a highway for my people to get through it. I'm here to prophesy to you tonight, if you and I will keep our eyes upon Jesus, there's nothing on this planet that's going to stop the plan and the will of God, and we're going to get through it. Please hear me. We're going to get through it. Look at your neighbor and say, we're going to get through this. But how many knows the wilderness wasn't that exciting? It was scary for the people of God because it looked like there were still issues. But they had to get from there. They had to make that track go forth. But then he said, I'm going to cause rivers in the desert. 
I believe he's talking about revival there, if you really want to know personally. He said, in the dry places, he said, I'm going to cause the rivers to be stirred in the desert places, in the places it doesn't look like anything is going on. He said, I'm going to, turn, I'm going to break forth rivers in the middle of it. I'm going to cause even in one place, he said, I'm going to cause the, the, the river to bloom. Then he goes on to say, the beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. I believe these are the contentious spirits and things that are going on throughout the land. God said, they're going to bow their knee to me. They're going to know who I am and they're going to honor me. And he said this, because I gave waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give my people drink, my chosen. Now listen, if you're not drinking, it's not God's fault. He said, I'm going to give you drink, but you're going to have to drink of it. And then he said, this people I have formed for myself, and they shall declare my praise. So I really believe that this year is a year of the open door. Old things are passing, a new door. Now, you've got to understand, a door is an entrance into, to another place. If you walk out that door, you're not going to see this. You're going to see a hallway. It's going to look different than in here. Same thing. And in that hallway is different activity that goes on in this room. And I believe that God's got more rooms for us to get into than, and things to enjoy than we have ever, ever enjoyed before. Y'all know that we've announced to you that uh, it, coming in October, beginning October, we're launching what we're calling life groups. Our Wednesday night is not going to look like this no more. We believe that we've heard from the Lord. And, and I, I really believe that, that this is the will of God, that we come together as the body, that we start building meaningful relationships and we start growing together and, and, and so that we can impact our world in a, in a greater, greater measure. You're going to hear me preach more about that, talk more about that in the days to come, but, but that's there. And, and I have to be honest, I'm just like many of pastors. You know what you're doing? I'm asking God, God, are we missing you? Are we on track? Or, and every time I turn around, somehow God in some means, in some way, is confirming to me that we're on the right track. And today while I was praying, he brought back a word that was given to me by a young man that's only been here a couple times, and he hadn't really ever been here to speak. And uh, some of you know him. It was Adam Williams that came with... Uh, Brother Anthony, uh, uh, here a year or two ago, and this word was given. He called me up one day in May of, of last year. Actually, it was on May 3rd. And he said, I see a door open to you, and you'll enter a very large door, a very large dormed room is what he called it, and it's dark. And you come as though you're standing on a cliff and you have to get across the room to another door. And once you get across and go through the door, it will all make sense of why you're going through this. It's a time, it's a time the Lord is going to teach you something new. And the angels will be present to help you get across. The darkness of this moment isn't evil, it's not sin, but rather it's the unknown of how everything will look or be of what you are, but what you are to do is to rest in it and trust the Lord for this is his doing. 
And, and so, man, that spoke to my heart because it's been a long while since I pulled out that folder. Honestly, it's been several months since I pulled out my folder of prophecies and walked through them. Uh, but God spoke that to me today while I was praying. So I, I want you to get ready. We're in a new season everywhere. I hear that everywhere. New things are happening. And I believe God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. So let's move in to the message tonight. And again, I'm not sermonizing you, even though it's Wednesday. But a week ago, I heard the Lord speak to me out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I knew that I was going to be speaking this. And you're going to hear it in different light over the next couple of weeks uh, here on Wednesday night. And this is the verse I want to give to you. This is going to be our theme for, this, for the rest of uh, the next few weeks. And now abideth faith, hope, and love. And now abideth faith, hope, and love. This is 1 Corinthians 13. Thank you. You got it up there. But the greatest of these is love. So God, open our eyes tonight. Let us hear what you're saying. So let me lay a backdrop for you so that we'll have a better understanding of what Paul is saying. He's writing a letter, or Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. Now, for an understanding, we got to really see what Corinth is all about to really have a clear picture. You know, sometimes when you're reading the Word and studying the Word, a lot of people grab one verse and say, man, I know what that means. Well, it can mean that because it's living. God uses His Word like that to speak to us. But a lot of times, you, if you want to really know what, you've got to keep it in context. So you've got to take that verse, see what the chapter's about. Sometimes you really can't find the full meaning just going through the chapter. You've got to look at the whole book. And you've got to begin to kind of see the underlying story of what the writer is giving this to us about. So Paul is writing to the church, to this group of believers that have come to know Jesus and his power in this major city called Corinth. Now, Corinth was a major... I'm going to stay close to my notes for a few moments. Corinth was a major metropolitan in the Roman Empire. It was a key to the trading world. It was a great city of trade. And because of its location, because you could get to it by land, you could get to it by sea... It began to be a very busy, a very bustling and hustling place for merchants to come from everywhere. And as a result of that, it began to be a melting pot. Listen, you got to pay attention because it makes it relevant to where we are. It, make, it became a melting pot, pot of many cultures. There were Jews, there were Greeks, there were Italians, there were Asians. And how many knows as these people are coming, they're bringing stuff with them. They're bringing different lifestyles with them. They're bringing different cultures with them. They're bringing their values into the place. They're bringing their religion, their philosophies about life. They're all bringing this into this place, and it's all melting together. And as a result, there was all kinds of idolatry that was going on in this place called Corinth. And the word Corinth, or the name Corinth, means the place of being satisfied. 
satisfied or filled. And so they're coming to that point, and, and a lot of idolatry is filling the room. How many knows, if you'll remember a number of years ago, when President Obama took office on the night of his inaugural speech, he just stood before the nation and the world as he gave his opening address, and he made these words, we are no longer a Christian nation. What, we had, what most people didn't realize, he was releasing something over the nation that I believe personally, his words in the position of authority that he stood in began to release things upon our nation that we have seen a major decline because now it is opened up for those spirits of darkness to take more of their ground and a place to work in our nation more than ever before. And our nation is filled with more junk, more garbage, more idolatry, more uncleanness than we've ever, ever. Are you blaming President Obama? No, I'm making a comment that the highest office of the land opened the door. He opened the door. You don't realize what your words even will do in your house. It'll open a door for the spirit to work. And so Israel, our Corinth has become, or maybe I should say, the United States has become much like Corinth. We're a melting pot now of all kinds of people. We go to the huddle house in the morning at 8 o'clock, and as we're sitting having coffee, it never fails. Across the parking lot at the hotel, the owners evidently are Indian or Pakistani or whatever they are, but they're out there every morning about 8.15, 8.30, and they stand at the east side. Is it the east side that way? Whatever side it is, they stand at the east and they got a little pot of some kind, a little goat thing, and they're offering up their prayers. They're making their prayers unto their gods. How I many has gone down Independence lately? And you've seen the, ch- no, is it in, no, it's Broadway. Gone down Broadway to see where the Masonic Lodge has changed now, has become the Islamic center. Not to offend anybody, but we went from one demon to another demon that has, that has entered into our city. These things are vital. There's, there's places in our nation, in the state of Michigan, in Dearborn, just outside around the city of Dearborn, a whole community of, of Muslims has taken, has literally moved in, taken over, even to the point that they've changed the signage. Of all the, of, of all the roads and everything to be in their language and such as that. Because when they establish a mosque in an area, when a mosque is put up, this is what they're saying. We're here to take over this territory. So we got all of these religions. Our school over here, our, our, our university, I've never seen, and I'm so thankful these young students are here and they're coming into our church, but never before have we seen such an influx of the world coming in, even to our own community. And, and I'm telling you, they are bringing their values. They're bringing it in, and it's being displayed everywhere we go. And besides that, we now are... Americans are supposed to be 
and we've lost our values to the things of God. So man is now beginning to establish his own values. And so all of these things are in effect. So Corinth is that picture. And I believe America has become a lot like Corinth was. Except there was a couple things that on one of the hills there overlooking the city, there was a, there's an idol in a temple put up that's dedicated to the god Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love or the goddess of lust. And there's a, there's a temple raised up to her that overlooks Corinth. And not only was there an idol of Aphrodite, but there was the, uh, the god of, uh, 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 what's his name? I have to look here. Uh, Neptune and other gods. There were many idols that were set up to oversee and to guard over in a sense of the city. Matter of fact, the city had, be, had become so filled with perversion that, uh, and, and lust that Corinth had become known for its lewdness. It had become known for the prostitution and all the uh, sexual uncleanness uh, that was going on. And, and even much of the population of that day had gone into slavery, was taken into slavery by those beliefs and by those doctrines, and they were given as prostitutes. Listen, you hear Pastor Val talk about this, uh, of the of the temple prostitutes. This was happening at Corinth, both in the temples of these idols, but no doubt it had made its way. And even the people of God were perverting the things of the Lord and desecrating to some degree the temple of God. It had gotten so bad. It had gotten so bad that Corinth began to be given another name. I can't pronounce it because it's about this long in Hebrew. But it means something like this. A city that means to live immorally as a Corinth. To live immorally as a Corinth. Or another, another title was given to them. Was the place, uh, was the place of, of, of lewd women. And so it had a bad reputation. And the thing that was happening, Paul, in the book of Acts chapter 16, or Acts chapter 16, or no, 18, you can go there, that Paul went in and began to, 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 to preach the gospel, and a church began to be formed in Corinth. And Paul stayed for a while until people began to challenge Paul, and Paul left from there, but the church stayed. But now something has happened. Something has happened, and it happens in a lot of places, and no doubt has happened in America, that the culture of the, of the community has found its way among God's people. And we've adapted to things that we never dreamed that we would adapt to, and things that are going on in the church. And so Paul began to realize that as word had come back to him that the church had a lot of problems. Now, it may have not been doing what they were doing in, in Aphrodite's temple, but there were things happening in the church that Paul said, I can't let it go no more. There were like 10 things that happened. Let me, let me give them to you real quick. Let, just real quickly, I don't have time to labor into each, each one of them. 
But one of the first things that Paul deals with, and as you open up the book and you start looking in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, Paul starts dealing with all the division among leadership. There was great division among leaders, even among the church. Matter of fact, in one place, I believe it's chapter 2, chapter 3, Paul says this, I can't even talk to you guys as mature. I got to talk to you as babes. I got to talk to you as carnal because all of you are in your flesh and you're going at each other. This one says that I'm a, a Paul. This one says I'm of Apollos. And it wasn't the fact that this one said I'm a Paul and this was a, they were saying this, I'm the, this is the greatest group and this and over here. We're talking about the believers now. I'm not talking about the, the ungodly in Corinth. I'm talking about what's happening in the church. Paul walks into it or he addresses it said, I'm glad I didn't come in and baptize any of you folks. Because wait a minute, this is supposedly sanctified people. He said, I'm glad I didn't, I didn't baptize any of you and I came with no other message but to reveal to you Jesus and him crucified. That was his answer for the problem. But it was a great problem that was going on among the church. Second problem they found in, in, in the church was found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There was a major incestual moral act going on among the believers. And they were allowing it to go on. And this was so tight and so strong. Paul said, why haven't you guys gotten rid of that? If you're not going to deal, get him out of there. Because he's... Feeling, he's defiling the whole body of Christ. There were things going on among the people of God. This was a very vile. Think about this in the light of everything that's going on in our country right now. Of even believers that can stand, that, that, that stand for abortion and believers that stand for some of the things that, that are going on in our nation right now. And it's like the door got opened. And it's there. And Paul said, I, I, I've come. You need to get rid of it. It was so evil. Matter of fact, when God says something like this, you go wipe out everything there is in Old Testament. You go kill every one of those Amalekites. You kill their fathers, their mothers, their babies, aunts, uncles. Kill their dogs, their cats, their rats, their pets, anything. Sorry, Jill. Kill anything they got. Why was God saying that? Because that thing is so infectious that if you don't kill it, it'll pop its head back up and it proved itself through history to take God's people into bondage because, because King Saul wouldn't deal with it. So when God says remove something, that thing can destroy the move of God. It can destroy the church if it's not dealt with, if we don't look at these things. And I'm, I'm not pressing on. I'm just I'm wanting you to see how vile things had gotten in the church. I'm going to get to, my, get to my word that God gave me. It's all a setup. Here's the third thing that was going on. Of course, this never happens in our church, I know, but it does happen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, brothers were, were taking each other to the court of law. And not to the pastor's office. They were going to the court of law. To the court of the world. And they were suing each other. They were going at things over different affairs. And, and Paul says, Paul dresses something. I, I, like I said, I don't have time to get over. Paul said, you don't need to be taking that to the world. 
We're supposed to be dealing with our issues among ourselves, among the body. We ought to have enough love and enough grace and enough, uh, enough uh, honor for one another that we can deal with our matters, but don't take it out and fan everything in the face of the world. But these things were going on. It was creating issues among the body. Here's the fourth thing that was going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 Verse 12, through the end of it, I believe, there was sexual immorality that was being tolerated. There was sexual issues among the people. Remember, that spirit of lust is in the land, and it was feeling. And, 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 and a lot of times, we've tolerated things, and we said, because, you know, it's on the outside. It's not hurting anybody. It's just me. It, it's this. And Paul has to address the issue because it again, it's defiling the temple of God. And that's where I believe Paul said, no, you're not that your body is the temple of the Lord. He was saying that not just so that you'll know God is in you. He was saying so you don't defile who you are because it brings defilement to you. Here was the fifth thing that went on. There was like 10 issues that went on. I hope you're okay. You're getting it anyway. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there was misguided issues about marriage and about being single. And there was pressure there. Paul said in one place, he said, you know what, it may be better if that, if I, that I stay single. And there is reason, but there was misguided representations and there was questions and it was causing a, a lot of confusion in the church about marriage and about singleness. And Paul said, we got to address these things. We got to deal with it. Here's another issue in chapters, uh, uh, number six in chapter eight, uh, verse one to 11, it was issue over food being offered to idols that now from those believers, they were eating some of this and they didn't see no reason for it. But then those Jews and the different ones, wait a minute, don't you know you're eating meat that's offered to idols? Don't you know that's defile, that's defilement? You're not supposed to do that. And you remember that place where Paul says, for one, you know, to eat this, it's not good for this and eat it, it's okay. But he said, we're really supposed to, wait a minute, if I'm going to cause my brother to be a stumbling block, or if I'm going to be a stumbling block to my brother, then I need to take heed to that because I don't want to call anybody to stumble. But there were issues over the food that was offered to idols. You would never believe this. The seventh issue that come up was issued over head covering for the women. And it was issue really of something that God intended between a husband and a wife and a covering that would distinguish her and set her apart. And now, and it really even went deeper than that. And I hear this, it still happens. Women in ministry, is it supposed to be, is it not? Can a woman preach? Can they pastor? Can they be an apostle? Can they this? Can they that? You'd be surprised how much of the body gets divided over all this. Matter of fact, Miss Adrian, I think, just recently done a program dealing with women apostles. Can it be? I got asked, is there such thing? I have to be honest. I, I, for a moment, I, I, I couldn't give a solid answer at the moment. I didn't say I didn't believe it. I just couldn't give a biblical answer. Did what I felt like to answer her the way she was wanting. But these began to be real major issues that created problems for the believers. It was creating problems for the body of Christ. Chapter 8, believe it or not, there was a mishandling of the Lord's table. Because here was the wealthy people living the poor people out. 
over status. You can't, because this, and they begin to make meals out of it and everything else. It just, that's why Paul stood and he said, it's been given to me of the Lord to help you understand what the table of the Lord is about. Man, it's crazy what can slip in, how much confusion can, can slip in to the, to the body and to the church. Then in chapter, the ninth issue that was dealt with is the issue of the mishandling of the gifts of the Spirit in the body of Christ. Chapter 12, Paul said, now concerning spiritual gifts, let's talk about it. And if you'll read through there, the first, what is it? Maybe nine, ten, ten verses deal with what we call the gifts of the Spirit, the word of knowledge and wisdom and discerning of spirits. You, you know those verses real well. And he says, go, go to the next uh, verse, if you don't mind, for me. Uh, let me. Let me see that. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by, listen, he reflects these dumb idols out there. However you were led, go to the next verse. Therefore, I, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Next verse. And then he says, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's difference of gifts. Not everybody does what I do. Thank God. I wouldn't be needed if everybody did. But you do things I can't do. But it's the same spirit. That's why I, I shared with you Sunday morning how the church has got, the body can't get together because we can't let each part of the body be what it's supposed to be. And this is what we start doing. The nose says to your foot, well, I smell a lot better than you do. And because you're the foot, I don't want any part of you. And if you're not an eye, you don't have any. And what we do, we devalue one or we say you're important and the body can't get itself together. But he's trying to get us see There are diversities of gifts. There's even diversities among preachers. Hello, and how they deliver teachers, apostles, prophets. There's prophets to cities. There's prophets to church bodies. There's prophets to nations. Not everybody does it. But if we're not careful, we don't even know how to make these things work, and it creates issues for the body. This is what Paul is addressing. Here's the last issue, chapter 15. There was an issue whether Christ would resurrect the believers or not. That's why Paul said, therefore, he goes in. We use the verse at funerals. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we all shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. For at the trump of God, it will go and the dead shall rise. But that had become contentious among the body of Christ. So here, I love how Paul addressed it. Uh, you know, he didn't come in. I, I've given you all the problems up front. Uh, but let me, let me share with you how Paul really started out with this. Because, see, this is how most of us would come. We'd come like a bulldog. I'm going I'm to clean this house up. That's how we do. That's not what Paul did. Paul addressed issues, but he didn't come in a haughty spirit. But this is how he came. It's found in chapter 1. I'm still going to get to 1313, so hang on. I'm going there. He says something like this, verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you. For the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything in him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, 
so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what the first thing that Paul did? He said, wait a minute, you're not acting like you who, who you really are. You come to know Jesus. He's in you. His presence was there. His power is there, but you're not acting like it. He didn't come in mean and haughty. He just started out. And then one by one, he starts dealing with those issues that were going on in the church. And then he comes to that great chapter, chapter 13. And this is where God began to really speak this whole thing to me. Because remember, chapter 12 is dealing with, he said, now concerning spiritual gifts or spiritual things. I don't want you to be ignorant. And he starts dealing. And chapter 12 is really more about the body than it is the gifts. Because if the body isn't functioning properly, the gifts won't flow in the right order. I, I really believe that. And so Paul's dealing with the body, and he, and he starts out, and he, he begins to talk to them about love. Let me get to chapter 13 before I miss it, all right? He begins, he says something like this in verse 1. Though I, have, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I become as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Wait a minute. What is that love directed to? That love he's talking about is directed to how we deal with one another. He said, though I hear from God, though I prophesy, though all of these things happen, I've got the tongue. That's basically what he's saying. He said, though I, I, I do these things, but if I have not love, I'm as a, tink, I'm as a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. There's no distinct sound of what I'm giving. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith, man, that just sounds like who where most of us are. So that I could remove mountains but have not love, he said, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and I do all of these wonderful things, he says, if I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Remember, he's dealing with this issue of the body because most of that was a body issue. It should have taken care of itself. So Paul says, he gives the definition of love and even there's a part in here many of you will, will know. He said, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. Most everybody reads that verse, thinks he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, that that's all done, that Jesus came and that's over. No, because none of us see everything absolutely clearly. That's why we're better together and why I need you because he may show Charlie a part. He may show Miss June a part back there. He may show Doc, Doc a part, me a part. But if we put it all together, maybe we see the bigger picture more clearly. But if I don't walk in love and I don't walk in the grace of God in that area towards you, first of all, towards him and towards others, none of us are going to see properly. Are you okay? I know it's Wednesday night. So then Paul goes on and he says this. 
He said, for we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I'm known. And this is the verse I want to get to. And now abideth faith, hope, and love, or charity in the King James, it would say, I believe it is. But the greatest of these is love. Now let's define that verse. Because Paul says now. What does now mean? In this moment of time, right? It means right here. It's 742. It means right now at 742. But this is deeper than that, being 742. This is what Paul is saying to deal with all of this, to help us through. Now, in the face of all the junk that is out there, let's pull this into our day. In the face of a crazy political world, in the face of a world that seems to have lost its mind, in the face of a world that doesn't know who they are, in the face of a culture that doesn't seem to care anymore, in the face of a, of a culture that seems to be ungodly. Paul's saying like this, he's talking to the believers. He said, now in the middle of this abideth. And the word abide simply means, listen, we know what abiding, it means in one sense, it means to stay. It also means to remain. But here's the deeper revelation. We're to stay in a place of expectancy that God is going to turn everything. It's not about just hanging on. It's about staying in a place of expectation. I, I'm I'm going, I believe God's doing something. Not only do I believe God's doing something, I believe God's going to do. Now, you've heard me say this over and over and over. Everywhere I go, I keep hearing, God, one day God's going to do something. One day God's going to do something. That's almost discouraging. It really is. Because it never gets you to where you're going to go. It's kind of like going to the restaurant and order, and you'd say, I'll have it out here in 15 minutes, and 45 minutes later, you don't have your meal. You're losing hope. You're losing expectation. Sometimes, I remember, I guess it was last year, New Year's this past, we went to one of the local restaurants and it was on a holiday and we went in, the place was full. Of course, we know people were struggling with help and we're sitting there. We, one, we place our order. They bring us drink. Nice young waiter came, served us. I'll get this out as quick as I can. 15 minutes passed, no food. 30 minutes Food passes. Our time passes. No food. 45 minutes pass. He hadn't even really come back. I don't remember to even hardly give us a, a refill of a Coke. And y'all know how much I drink it. And, and it's not full. He'd show up. Hey, I'll, I'll go check on that right now. Uh, they say it's just about up. An hour passes. An hour 15. An hour 20. An hour 30. An hour 40. An hour 50. Two hours is upon us. Now we make the great decision. That's what we said. Well, what do we do? <laughs> do we stay or go? First time that I think we've ever done this, that we got up and just left. And I thought, I just cost them a lot of money. If my order is setting in there, I think there was like 10 of us at the table because all the family was together. There was a lot of money, and I watched other people getting up to go. I could see the young man was frustrated. He lost a tip and everything else. Because he never came back to the table. But see, what happened was we lost 
hope or expectation. And once you, once you lose your expectation, you're not going to remain in the thing that God said. That's why you got to stay focused upon him. He said, now abideth or remain in a place of expectation. Matter of fact, he says, it says it deeper than that. It says, stay in that place of expectation. Now, in the face of all that, God's moving. God's moving. God's moving. He's moving all the time. We just don't see everything that we want to see at the moment. He speaks to Israel in one place. He speaks to them in one place. He says, dig a ditch because tomorrow I'm going to fill it with rain. I'm going to fill it with water, but you're not going to see a wind. You're not going to see a cloud. You're not going to see rain. But because you don't see it doesn't mean I'm not moving. And we, the church, have got to hear. We've been putting our ear to the voice of the prophets, and they've been speaking and declaring that God is moving, and we're more fearful than ever. We've got to remain in the place that God is going to turn things in our nation. He's moving in our church. Revival is in the land. Y'all look at y'all got real quiet, but your, vo- your voices are saying something different. So then this is what he said. Now abideth in these three things. Here's what abides. He said, now abideth faith. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1. 1. And I'm not going to read the whole verse, just part of it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is the substance of, I just lost where I was going with it. Now faith is, somebody help me quote it. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So in other words, I've got an assurance that what I'm believing for is going to unfold even though I don't see it yet, right? I've got this assurance. Paul was pointing them to have faith in God, that God is going to do what God said he would do, that God is moving, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Church, please hear me. You're going to either put yourself in the kingdom or you're going to put yourself and trust this world system. And if you're trusting this world system, you're going to be disappointed. But I'm here to declare to you that if your confidence is in the Lord... And it's in his kingdom. What has God been saying to this house for weeks and months now? Everything you're hearing is the kingdom. Even brought a big, tall Trinidadian that we could barely understand. What was he talking? The kingdom. We are citizens of that kingdom. Brought him all the way to tell us after me and Pastor Val and others have been preaching that same thing in this house. And here's the evidence of the kingdom. Paul said in Romans chapter 14, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, God asks you, where's your righteousness level? God asks you, where's your joy level? God asks you, where's your peace level? Because if it's not there, you're not trusting kingdom. Because Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not like the world has. I had somebody visit me this week. I don't hear this very often. They just volunteered to share it with me. Said, Pastor, I just got this feeling everything's going to be all right. Everything out here in the world, I I just got this feeling God's going to take care of everything. 
Hey, this isn't somebody that's been in our been in the church forever. This isn't some, this is a brand, in one sense, very new to a lot of things that I've been a part of and you've been a part of all your life. And they're sitting so peaceful. I just, Pastor, I just feel like I need to tell you this. I, I'm at peace. Very seldom do I ever hear that. Matter of fact, the closest thing I even heard to that was probably 20 years ago when I had to be in, had the opportunity to have to be in a luncheon with a group of ministers with Lester Summerall. Just before he died at 80 years old, that big statesman walked into that room. There's about maybe 30, 40 of us in that luncheon. He walks in the room, first words out of his mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm 80 years old, and I am just utterly, totally satisfied. Just as peaceful as peace could be. I don't ever hear that from anybody. But boy, what a place to get. And Paul said, in the midst of all this chaos, now faith is still here working. And God said, that's where I'm expecting you to work. Our values, we, we got to hang on to them. What is our values? That Jesus is the center. Jesus is everything. He's the one we've got our confidence in. He's the one we're trusting in. He's the one we're doing. Hey, I, I want to tell you something. I, I, please hear me. I'm not putting my confidence anymore in a political leader. My confidence is in Jesus or a political system. It's in Jesus. Pastor, you mean you're not going to get? Yeah, I'm going to be involved, but that's not going to be my thrust. It's Jesus. I may offend some of you, but I'm telling you. My trust is in him. Men are going to fail. Our value is we're spirit-led. I'm trying, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. One place he might say, be still and know that I'm God. He might tell you in another place, hey, you don't need to be fighting this battle. But because I like to fight, I'm going to fight anyway. And usually if I don't hear the voice of the Spirit, it's going to create me more issues and issues for people around me than it will for me to fulfill my, my, my fleshly desire. We believe in a God that has unlimited power. That our God that we serve, this is core values that we're standing upon our church. I'm praying these before the Lord daily. You ought to be doing the very same thing. God, we believe in your unlimited power. We believe we are better together. We're better together. We're going to get through this together. We're going to stand together. We're going to encourage one another. I believe one of our values is that we give honor. Yes, we honor up. We honor down. We honor all around. There's not one person in this room better or greater than anybody else. We give everybody in this room honor. And that's how we're going to live. We're going to respect one another and respect each other's opinions even when we disagree. Not only that, but we're going to pursue excellence. You know what excellence means? Excellence means I'm going to live my life to the fullest, to the best that I know how to live it with the ability and with the tools that God has given me to live it out. And that's how I do things or how we should be doing things as a church. I may not be able to do what somebody else does because I don't have their equipment. But if I have what I am, I giving my best into it. And then we're a generous people. You know what? We're going to give. We're going to serve. We're going to give out of ourselves of everything that we do. That's our values. But you know, how many has heard the words of the prophets talk about the angels? I have heard a lot of them 
talk about. Tim Sheets is a great one to talk about all the angels. Hear it all the time. But remember in the book of 2 Kings, Elisha gets up one morning. It's early morning. His servant gets up to go get the morning coffee, get the bagels going. And as he walks out, he looks up over the hills. And when he turned around, the hills were filled with chariots and horsemen. And he runs in and he grabs a hold of Elisha. Master, come out and look what's here. And Elisha gets up, walks out, gets his coffee and said, what's the problem? Hey, don't you see all that? Yeah, I do. But don't you also see what I see? That there are more with us than there are them. So I've heard people like Dutch Sheets. I've heard people like, uh, what's his prophet buddy? Uh, Who? Chuck Pierce and Tim Sheets and all of them talking about the angels that are surrounding our nation. Now, why are they saying that to us? We're looking for them to go and fight and pull out all this evil. Maybe that's part of their assignment and job. But they're also there to help us. The Bible said that that, are they not ministering spirits sent to minister to the heirs of salvation? They're being positioned for our behalf. That's where I got to stay in faith. Oh, come on, somebody. Here's the second one. I got to land the jet. I'll take you to dinner, Michael. Here's the second one. It's hope. He said, now abideth faith, hope. Psalms 42, 11, David in the middle of distress. He said, so why are you in distress? He speaks to himself. Why are you in distress? Do you know David, when you read through Psalms, he can be up, he can be down. And one moment he's reading like this. So why are you in distress? And then he turns around and talks to himself. Hope thou in God. Because hope is anticipation. And it's to be anticipated with joy. It's expectation. Guys, if we lose our hope, what's the world going to do? If we, the church... Lose our hope. Oh, it's getting so bad. If we lose our hope, they don't have a chance. Because they don't have what you have on the inside of you. Psalms 103, the psalmist done this. He, he said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives us of all of our iniquity who heals us of all of our diseases, who's crowned us with loving kindness, tender mercies, fills our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagle. The book of Isaiah, he said, the weak will be strong, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They'll run and not be weary. We can't lose our hope. David said in one place, uh, I wouldn't have made it had I not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would not. David's a warrior. He's a giant killer. He killed a bear. He killed a lion with his bare hands. He's a bad dude. And if David lost his hope, David never let it go. He said, I wouldn't have made it had I not believed. Church, I want to share something with you here. Jesus spoke these words in the book of Matthew. I think it's chapter 6. He said, we can't serve two masters. 
We're going to have to make up our mind which side of the kingdom we're going to operate in. He said, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll serve the spirit of mammon, which is really the spirit of the world, or we're going to serve the kingdom of God. Where are you going to be at? You can't be in both of them. And sometimes we're trying to. We're trying to be victorious in both of those kingdoms. Jesus said it. And friends, I've got an idea. Jesus did not die for us to fail. He did not die for me to fail and for you to fail. And even if I did fall, the scripture says this, though a righteous man, let me give you some hope if your life is messed up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, God said he is not utterly cast down. But God said, I'll uphold him. I'll pick him up with my right hand, which speaks of right hand of his blessing and his favor. And then lastly, the, the psalm, uh, Paul said, now abideth in the face of all this is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It's faith to God. It's, faith, it's love to God. Let me say it rather this way. It's love to God and it's love toward others. Because if it's not going towards others, it's probably not going to him. And the reason he said, the reason that he said that love is the greatest gift of all. Remember, he said, you can do a lot of things, but you don't have love. It's the very essence and nature who Jesus is. Faith will one day not be needed when he comes. Hope will not be needed when he comes. But I will live forever. In the greatness of who he is, love. And that's why he said it was greater than ever. And the one thing that we need to extend and share to one another, not only to us, but also to this world as we live in, is love. That's why Paul defined it. And he said it like this, and I'll close, I'm done, my time is up. He said, love believes all things. Love hopes all things. I know I'm getting a little bit out of order. The first thing he said, he said, love is patient. And love is kind. Love doesn't behave itself unseemly or unkindly or rude. And love, let's just read through it. Love suffers long, is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It's saying, it's not, look at me. It does not behave itself rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Why does it think no evil? Because it just sees everybody as the property and as a child of God, and it looks through the eyes of Jesus. It can't see the evil. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity. Boy, isn't it always it? Bad news travels faster than good news anytime. Did you hear what Michael got into? What real love does, love would want to cover him. I don't want you to know what Michael got into. Because I want to protect Michael. You mean you're trying to cover him up? No, I'm just trying to be a brother and cover him and help him get his life back in order. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in truth. We ought to be celebrating each other. Bears all things, believe all things, hopes all things. It endures all things. Look at the last part. Love never fails. Never under any circumstances. 
There'll be times people aren't going to hear prophecy. There's going to be times uh, tongues isn't going, they're not going to hear it. They don't want to hear it. There's going to be times even the word, you know, it's right in their face. They're not going to hear it. But I promise you, this is why in our life groups, we are stressing meaningful relationships, letting know people know of everyone how much they, they're cared for. Because they'll never know how much they're cared for until somebody shows how much they care. Because love keeps reaching towards them to want to see the very best in their lives. So now abideth faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. It's here. Faith is here. Don't give up on it. Don't lose your hope. Keep loving. Keep loving. God's moving. Come on and stand with me. Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you for the word that you put in my heart. And I've given it, God, my very best that I know how and how you gave it to me to speak. And I pray tonight, God, that, Lord, this word will just get sealed in our life, even in me, God, so that I can be everything, God, that you need me to be and want me to be, that I can make an impact in the world that I'm around always, God, wherever I go, every step I take. And I pray that over each one in this place, that, God, we're going to stay in faith. We're going to stay in hope. We're going to see you move. I believe the things that you have promised will surely come to pass. So, God, I declare, God, I remember when, when your word said this about Samuel, not one word you spoke fell to the ground, but it all came to pass. And if you said it, I believe it. And that settles it. That settles it because you said it. So, God, I bless your people now. Give them an incredible night's rest. Give them a great day tomorrow at their job or whatever they're doing at the market, at school, whatever they may be doing. Give them an incredible time in you, God, and let them be light and salt everywhere they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Good night, everybody.